Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. I probably should say welcome back to the Jazz Session. It's been a while since there's been a show because in November, the labor union that I work for transferred me from Rochester, New York, to Albany, New York. And that meant that they transferred me away from my studio and my ability to do telephone interviews and really from my normal life. Uh, things have started to settle down a little bit in Albany, although my family is still in Rochester and we're waiting for all that to get uh, finished up. But in any case, I was lucky enough this week to spend some time with Chico Hamilton, the uh, NEA jazz master and famed drummer, composer, arranger, and educator was in town for a show in Albany, and I spent some time with him uh, in a Borders bookstore where he was performing uh, just before the gig. You'll notice in the interview that you can hear some people moving around in the background. Sometimes it's the band coming in to eat. Uh, sometimes it's Borders employees taking things in and out of the office where we were sitting, and the phone rings a few times. As a matter of fact, you may notice that this sounds a little strange right now while I'm talking. I'm actually recording this in a closet, trying to get something like uh, normal acoustics and probably failing. And uh, then I'm going to go into the bedroom and mix it down uh, the only space that I have to do that. So uh, the jazz session is nothing if not professional. But in any case, I, I hope none of that will take away from your enjoyment of this chat with one of the living legends of this music, Chico Hamilton. When he turned 85, he released four records, and then uh, last year he put out one called Hamiltonia that selected tracks from those four records. And on this interview, we're going to hear from that album and also from two forthcoming albums that uh, haven't even hit the store shelves yet, so you'll get a little sneak peek. To start off, though, from the Hamiltonia recording, this is Chicano Heritage. <laughs> The new album 
uh, is a kind of a, a compilation from the four records that you released in your 85th year. So uh, what do you eat for breakfast that allows you to release four records in your 85th year? What do I eat for breakfast? <laughs> you must be doing something right. That's, that's a good question, man. Uh, as a matter of fact, man, I eat cereal because I have to take about a half a dozen pills. <laughs> Which sucks. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. for uh, for anybody who's who's listened to you over the years, I mean, you you've always uh, had a guitar as a prominent piece of all your ensembles. That's correct. Why did you make that decision so so early on? Well, originally, I was when I left Lena Horn, I, I was going to put my you know my group uh, group together. And with the piano, I was really wanted to get Jerry Wiggins and people like that. But all those, I went back to California, went back home. All those guys, man, they had their own thing going, yeah, happening. So I figured, well, let me do something else, you know. And originally with the quartet, with the quintet, it was going to be a French horn player by the name of John Gross. And the first day of rehearsal, John had a heart attack, man, and passed away. And about a week or ten days later, I happened to be on a thing with Fred Katz, who we played together with Lena. He played cello. And I told him about my plight, so he says, well, why don't, why don't I bring over the cello? And I said, Fred, why don't you bring over the cello? <laughs> and that's how it all got started. As a matter of fact, I just considered it as a five guys being in the right place at the right time. Carson Smith on bass, Buddy Collette on horns, reeds, Jim Hall on guitar, myself on drums. And did the guitar allow you to do things that a piano well, wouldn't have? Well, let me explain to you about that, the uses of the guitar. As a matter of fact, the first album I ever done was was a trio with George DeVivier and Howard Roberts, which was the first time those particular instruments of the rhythm section was a solo instrumentalist, you know? And the way I play, it's, it makes it, it's very conducive for the, for the guitar as opposed to keyboard because of the sustaining power. Uh, the longevity, a guitar, a, a guitar can hold a chord for damn near two to three bars, you know, that type of thing, that sound. And that gives me a chance to dance.
And you've you've really kept that oh, yeah. all throughout the years, right up to the present day. As a matter of fact, man, I was at one time only gig in town was mine for guitar players. <laughs> Is, is there a, a Chico Hamilton sound? Is there an something about people hear you at your orchestrations? Well, or your you tell me. <laughs> well, I would say yes. I think there is. Yeah, I think there is. I, and I don't mean just in your drumming, but I think no. your arranging has a very particular oh, yeah. sound as well. The way that I write, you know, I'm a, I'm a protege of Joe Wilson's, who, uh, well, virtually I learned how to write. My concept came from Lenny Hayton, who was Lena Horne's former, Lena Horne's husband, and Luther Henderson and Billy Strayhorn. That's that's who that's how I grew up musically. That's not a bad pedigree. Uh. I'll tell you. <laughs> if I got any better, I wouldn't know how to act. You know? <laughs> So uh, I wonder, uh, you've done a lot of film, a lot of television yeah. writing. Has that influenced the things that you've done since? Was there a particular a particular way you had to arrange or approach instrumentation for that writing that that changed how you worked? Or no, what it what it what it, what it did. As a matter of fact, it got boring after a while. Really, doing the commercial writing for commercials. But what it did, it taught me how to think in terms of two and three bars. Not just, you know, make a statement. Don't just write a sound or some notes. Make a statement. And so that's from a, a performing aspect as well as uh, just writing and arranging? Or? Well, I don't play any different. I think I play the same every time I sit down and play. I try to play. You know, I do my best whether I sound good or bad or indifferent. I'm doing the best I possibly can because my whole... Incidentally, I don't play music for people. I've been blessed because I'm able to make music, and I make music for music's sake. And I believe that music is one of God's will, and God's will will be done. And music should be played or made good at all times. But does the the presence of an audience change what happens? It don't bother me. But I'm playing a men's room. I don't care. <laughs> the one here is kind of small, though, so that uh, might be a solo, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> solo gig. So, uh, uh, I, I, seriously, I don't, you know, I just, I'm, I'm blessed, man, because you know, I am music. And has that been the way you've always felt about it? Just about. Just about. I've always, you know, I grew. Number one, man, I learned something from Louis Armstrong that fans are fickle and you can't please everyone. So I convert all my fans into friends like Louis did, like Pops did. Even when his chops had gone, you know, people would still go see him. Hey, let's go see Pops, you know, because all over the world people loved him, you did. I'm not saying people love me all over the world, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, uh, I make music for music's sake. How do you do that? Convert fans into friends? Well, we just met, right? I, now you're going you're going to go say, "Hey, man, you know, Chico's not bad, dude. <laughs> he just looks bad." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
guess it was four years ago now when you were made an NEA Jazz Master. Yeah. That uh, that award was presented to you by Roy Haynes, and I wonder how long that relationship goes back. Roy. Roy and I met. You know who introduced us? Prez. No kidding. Not Bush. Right. <laughs> yeah, the real one, right? Lester. The real Prez. <laughs> Lester Young. And how did that how did that happen? In California. Okay. Around that time, I was a hot shot drummer, a little hot shot drummer around L.A. They know I was known as either Forrest Hamilton or Chick. You know, when when they played the West Coast, Roy told me that we, we, he was in San Francisco, and everybody thought he was he was Forrest Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> and when he got the L.A. press introduced us, and we've been friends ever since. You know, he's a tremendous player. Good player. Good player. Absolutely. He can shake him up, right? Just like, you know, like when I first came to New York with Lena Horn, the first, I met, uh, met Max Roach. The bass player with us was Charlie Drayton, who was from Brooklyn. He and Max grew up together. And Max came to the Paramount Studios where we were playing Charlie introduced us. And next thing I know, man, we were me and Max was sitting up playing on chairs, with, you know. So, and uh, unfortunately, Max just passed away, and I just lost my wife about a week or ten days ago. And man, we had been married sixty-seven years. You believe that? That's amazing. Like I told. President Bush, a family that listens to jazz together stays together, that's for sure. And the proof is in that pudding, right? 67 right. years. so much time around the the next several generations of players particularly through your relationship with the new school how's uh, how's jazz looking to you these just days? turn around and look i was gonna say they're uh, they're, <laughs> they're sitting right behind us there's some new school dudes <laughs> that's evan swan fantastic horn player and jeremiah jeremiah who's uh 
who's a rock and roll star as well. <laughs> Very nice. With the glasses to prove it, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his shit kicking zone. It's cool. So you feeling pretty good about how the music's doing these days? And I don't understand that. Uh, I guess, in other words, uh, it seems like about every four or five years, people say there's not going to be any any more jazz for very much longer. And every four or five years, all those people are wrong. I wonder what you're you're seeing from your seat. Well, the one thing that I think what bothers me the most in regards to the ethnic aspect of it is that young black kids have no idea who Duke Ellington was, Count Basie, Miles, people like that. They, they're not a, they're not aware of the fact that that's their heritage. Puff Daddy. <laughs> I went to a uh, – I used to do some jazz history teaching in um, some middle schools in, in the city and – Saw a Black History Month poster once that had no no musicians on it at all, particularly no jazz jazz musicians, which seems to speak to exactly what mm-hmm. you're talking about. That it's it's just been erased almost from the record. So. Yeah, as a matter of fact, man, uh, I got a calendar, a jazz calendar, and there's not one black face on it. <laughs> How can that be? <laughs> That's why I kept it. (laughs) I have no prejudice against anyone or anybody or anything in regards to when it comes to music. People are pretty universal. They're either going to like it or they don't like it. That's the reason I told you I don't play for people anyway, you know. Play for the sake of the music. Yeah. Yeah, sure. See this young man here? I do. And so will the listening audience. <laughs> Who's this young man here? This young man is a student at the uh, university. He was in my ensemble class. He's from... Uh, Ukraine. Ukraine. Out of everybody in my ensemble class, all these young American, none of them could play a standard. He was the only one, which was amazing to me. You know, he could hardly speak English, but he could play a, j- a standard. Not a jazz standard, just a standard, you know, old tune. We hired him, we're paying him $100,000 a year. <laughs> the jazz business is getting better. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's good news. Well, I thank you very much for the time. I know... Uh, you guys are going to get ready to go on and play. I just my my last question is: uh, Are you going to stick around? Uh, absolutely, I okay. wouldn't miss it. You said uh, you make music for music's sake. What is it still exciting to you to do that after all this time you've been playing? What else am I going to do, man? Well, you could rest on your laurels and appreciate all those awards, and you know, be the guru on the mountain. Is that Laura or laurels? Laurels. I hope. <laughs> or you could, I don't know if Laura's around. We could ask her. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're more than welcome.
drummer Chico Hamilton and a sneak preview from his new trio album set to come out in a few weeks. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes and anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com. I'm going to make this brief because the uh, you know audio quality is a bit uh, fish tank-esque, but I thank you very much for sticking with me. I hope that you'll remain subscribed to the Jazz Session and get new content when it appears. And don't forget to visit the website because in addition to the podcasts that you may get in your subscription, there's also other content there. I still write articles and uh, interviews and reviews for both allaboutjazz.com and for the Island Packet newspaper down on Hilton Head Island. And you can find all those things and a lot more at thejazzsession.com. Plus, you can listen to all the shows that you may have missed. There's been uh, quite a few, and near 70,000 people have decided to uh, download them so far. Thanks a lot for listening, and come back again for the next show as we talk about jazz again right here on The Jazz Session. <laughs>